You are listening to audio from Central Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas. If you would like to get more involved or get more information about our church, stick around after the message. It's time. Everybody have a handout? They're right there on the little black table. Um, so, um, I forgot that it was homework, but um, I remembered to do it. So, I'm safe. I'm safe. Um, why don't we do that just real quick so that we can look through that? Um, because there are a couple I want to point out. Um, there are some that I really like. Um, I really like reading the gentleman I talked about this morning. I don't know where I have him on there. I'm trying to see. R.C. Sproul. There it is, fourth one on there. R.C. Sproul. Um, just about everything I've read from him. I've thought one was very good doctrinally, um, but also good to read. You know, it was, you know, sometimes there's a couple books in my library that are great doctrinally, but it's like trying to dig through concrete. <laughs> I have found him to be, you know, right at my level, um, really good to read. John MacArthur is really good. really like John MacArthur. Um, Matt Chandler, the books I've read from him are very good. Um, ladies, I think if you tried, she's the third one on the list. I've actually read two of her books. Her name is uh, Elisa Childress. I think I spelled her last name right. Is it two S's? Might be two S's. Um, but she's very good, very good doctrinally. Um, you like her. Um, let's see. Jonathan Lehman and Mark Dever are also very good. David Platt is very good. Um, if you like fiction books, I can't recommend enough Ted Decker. Um, he, oh, I think it's called the Circle Series. And the books are actually different color titles. Like the first book is green, second book is black, the third book is red, if I'm not mistaken. And he has children and teens. Yeah, um, I've read all of them. He, there's actually a, a movie that was... Um, a national movie, it's been, man, 25 years ago, that was written, or that was made off of one of his books. Um, <laughs> Parker. <laughs> Parker Kleiner is watching, if you want to know. <laughs> and it is, I think I spelt it right. Let me see, Parker, did I spell it right? Yep, I spelt it right. Very good. Um, Ed Setzer's very good. Jay Adams is very good. Jay Adams can be kind of tough to swallow at times, but very good. Um, let's see. C.S. Lewis, if you like, obviously, if you like fiction, his is top notch. Um, some classic ones are in there. Charles Stanley, James Dobson, Sean McDowell, Josh McDowell. All very good. Um, like all of those. Uh, there is one that I put in here because I have a number of his books. Um, but he his he doesn't really get into deep doctrine, which is why I recommended him. Because if he got into his deep doctrine, we would disagree on some things. But the average book that he writes, very good. Um, the one I would recommend the most is called In the Grip of Grace, and that's Max Licato. Um, he's actually a pastor of a church down in San Antonio. Um, and number of his books. I've actually given some of his books out to people that have been hurting. He wrote a great book called You'll Get Through This. 
um, very good if you're going through a hard time. Um, he wrote, uh, he chose the nails, I think one of the most moving books I've ever read. So um, if you get too deep into his stuff, you might have some questions. Now, there are a number of authors that didn't make this list um, that I have in my office, and those books are pretty good. Like Andy Stanley didn't make the list. Um, but there are a couple of books that I would highly recommend. Um, and I can't remember them off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, Visioneering that he wrote is very good. Um, let's see, the one about the the, princi- uh, the path principle is very good. So there are others, but those the ones that you have here are very, very good to read. Okay? So I did my homework. This week it's your turn. We'll get to that in a moment. Yes, that's right, Ann. That is right. Um, uh, So, if you have your Bibles, join me in Colossians 1 and Psalm 119. Last week, we started looking at um, the second step of trying to come to the meeting, and that's interpretation. So, um, this lesson shouldn't be near as long as the ones previous, Lord willing. Um, And the reason is, it was really just one really big lesson, and I got most of it done last week. But this is probably the more important part of the two. Um, We, last week, remember, we talked that it's not CSI, it's BSI. What does CSI stand for? The TV show? Crime Scene Investigation, right? Um, and so there's some of you here that weren't here last week. Did y'all ever watch CSI? How about CSI Miami? That's the one my mom liked. And there's that guy on there. And I, I still, to be honest with you, it's my favorite part of the entire series. Horatio Spafford, I believe it was. Kane. Horatio Spafford is who's that? That is somebody. That's right. <laughs> It would be pretty remarkable if he was on CSI Miami. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Horatio Kane. He always had those sunglasses. And when there was, I think it was almost always right before they got to the intros and the music and things, uh, he would always have that line right before. Um, And then he'd put on the sunglasses. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. It was cool. But we aren't doing CSI. Parker's shaking his head no at me. (laughs) Do you know how much I heard after this morning service from Cooper about how relatable it was to him and how boring church services are? (laughs) It was all lunch. That's that's all it was. (laughs) Um, And then I told him, you have to come back tonight. He went, oh, man. Anyways, um, where was I? Oh, it's not CSI, it's BSI. What do you think BSI stands for? Bible Scene Investigation. We really put on our detective cap as we're going through all of the different clues to determine what the text really means. This is... um, vitally important step to getting to the truth of God's word. So tonight, we're looking at steps for a Bible detective. 
Look with me at Colossians 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Don't you love it when you hear about someone praying for you? Paul's saying, I'm praying for you. And then he uh, lists a desire from this prayer that he prayed, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now jump to Psalm 119. Um, you know what? Since we're there, why don't we start in verse 129? 129 says, Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Isn't that good to know? I opened my mouth and panted. Probably need to underline that word. For I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me, be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man. So will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servants. And teach me thy statutes. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes. Because they keep not thy law. Why don't we pray? God, we bow this evening thankful for your word. And Lord, as we go through this lesson, I pray that we understand how important it is to interpret your word the right way. Lord, it's not at all about what it means to me. It has everything to do with the meaning that you put there. And I pray, Lord, that that's the desire that we'll have, to find out the truth about what God's word teaches. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, I said last week, and I want to repeat it. As a pastor, um, I've taken classes on Bible interpretation. The class was called hermeneutics. Um, I've done classes on Greek and Hebrew. I've gone to preaching classes called homiletics. Um, I have been in church my entire life. I mean, goodness, I tried the math this week to determine how many sermons I've heard in almost 40 years, and my calculator didn't go that high. Um, so I've heard tons, and it's gotten worse over the last 10 years since I have been preaching. But whenever I hear a preacher or a teacher say, what this means to me is, I pretty much just shut down. I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter to me what it means to you. <laughs> Why do I care what the Bible means to you? Um, you're just as fallible as I am. I don't need to hear what Andrew Hayward thinks. I need to hear what the Lord says, right? So um, our duty today is not to find what we think it means. Our duty today is to find what the Bible really means. Um, so let's take some steps to ensure that we get to the right uh, meaning of the text. So what are those steps? Um, well, we uh, read those two passages. A couple of things should come out. One, we should pray. Listen, when, when the first step before you open the Bible, and I usually do it when I preach right after I read it. 
And that, the reason is to bless it as we go into it more deeply. But if I'm reading or studying on my own, before I open the pages, I pray. Why wouldn't I? Because if there's one that knows what it means, it's God. And I'm of the opinion he's not hiding the meaning from me. I just need to find the way to get to it. So, even though I'm a man, I ask for the map. <laughs> right? I get, I, give me directions, Lord. Help me find the way. But then the, the last, or the, the next thing before we get to the steps is a desire. Did you notice 130, I think it's verse 30, uh, 131. I opened my mouth and panted, for I long for thy commandments. Um, that is a word that's used multiple times in um, the Psalms. And usually it's associated with an animal. The animal is a deer, as the deer pants for the water. Um, that What that is, is a desire. Our desire should be, listen, I, I do my best when I get up to speak. I know Parker does the same. I know John does the same. Um, I know others that preach do the same. We don't want to just get up here and bore you to death, contrary to what my son thinks. <laughs> we, we don't. But that shouldn't be our desire, to be entertained by the man behind the pulpit. Because if, if all we want is entertainment, we end up down a carnal road that leads to a Christian church called Carnival Christian Church, where it's just fun and games and nothing really changes, right? Um, but if the, the goal of a sermon isn't to entertain anyone, the goal of teaching isn't to entertain anyone, it's to get into God's word and to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, whether, it inter whether it's interesting or whether it captivates, the, the main purpose is to tell us what is right from God's word and then what is wrong in our lives and praise the Lord how to fix what is wrong. Um, and that should be our desire. When we walk in those doors, did, did they give me the truth? Is it God's word? That should be our desire. So here are the steps. Step one. Is content. Content. This should be the easiest step. Because this step is the first step of Bible understanding. And that's observation. There's always, I think this might even be the next um, thing that you have to fill out. There's always a cause-effect relationship between the content and its meaning. Always. All of the information will point you to the meaning. Think about a detective. What's one of the first things a detective does when he gets to the crime scene? He just takes out his little notepad and begins to write down all the pertinent details. He gets all of the information that he can get his hands on, right? He's trying to find out more and more information because he knows with the right information he can get to the bottom of the true meaning of the case. For the content, we employ the results of our observational studies. All of that information will provide a database with which we are going to interpret the scripture. So all of the stuff that we got from the observation. Remember when we did Acts 1-8? I had two full pages of Acts 1-8, just that one verse and observations that we made. In 
my Bible study methods class, we had to get 50 observations, I think it was, of just that one verse. And from that 50 observations, we now can go there and begin to look through the content to help us determine the meaning of that one verse. Here's an important principle. The more time you spend in observation, the less time you will spend in interpretation. Doesn't necessarily have to be that way. It just is. Because you set such a good foundation, you don't have to go back and find more information. Okay? The more time you spend in observation, the less time you'll have to spend in interpretation. Because it'll be easier. Think about it. If there's only one true meaning of the text, and you get to the one true meaning of the text, you're done. <laughs> At least with that part of Bible study. That's it. Um, uh, there can be hundreds of observations. There's only one true meaning. That's it. Here's some good news. You don't just have to use what you have. You can use what other good Bible students have already gathered. So I would say after you've done your observations, you can go to your library. Find that good commentary. I love Warren Wearsby's. I think it's the best one you can get. Um, uh, go to, um, listen, you can go back and say, well, I know my pastor preached on that. Let me watch it on YouTube. It's there. You get to see me again. What a blessing life is. Right? You have all of this content. Make it easier on yourself. Be very diligent with observation. And it makes interpretation that much easier. So the first step is content. The second step is context. We've talked about this one. And we'll continue talking about this one. I promise you. This is one of the biggest things reasons there are problems in the church today we take things out of context once a detective has all of the information he needs he sets out to figure out what it all means how does he do that he he tries to figure out the context of which this happened why is there drops of blood here um, why, why did they break that cabinet door um, why is the safe open you know all, all of these different things the context of the information that he found. Context always refers to that which goes before and that which follows. Remember, most of the time when you're talking about context, it's just the immediate context of what you're reading. You need to figure that out. Read the stuff before, read the stuff after. Anytime we break into the middle of the passage, we will always need to look at the context of the passage. You should never just preach Philippians 4.13. You need the context. Really, that goes for any passage. Um, John 3.16. Listen, you could preach John 3.16 for the next 52 weeks of 2023, but you still need the context to really understand what John 3.16 is talking about. Um, so the context matters. Think about this. Every major cult and doctrinal error is built on a violation of this principle. Every major cult and doctrinal error is built on a violation of this principle. Uh, jump to John chapter 3. Uh, we just talked about John 3.16, but we're not going there. John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 16 happens in a conversation. 
Does anybody know who Jesus is talking to? Nicodemus. Does anybody know what Nicodemus was? I'm sorry? Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. So Nicodemus would have been well known. No, if I'm wrong, someone help me. I want to say there was 150 Pharisees and that was it. I think that's right. Um, so, I mean, being in Israel and being a Pharisee meant you were probably pretty close to celebrity status. Um, so everybody knew him, which explains some of the context. So verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. So, since he's so famous, he doesn't want to be seen with what most Pharisees perceived as the enemy, a man named Jesus. Um, and so it says, and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know, which is interesting, he admits, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I love that. He comes in trying to butter Jesus up. <laughs> My kids do this when they want something. <laughs> come in, butter daddy up. Um, come in and you know they're he's trying to make jesus like him jesus doesn't matter it doesn't matter to jesus at all he doesn't respond to the he doesn't say thank you <laughs> nothing look what he does jesus answered and said unto him verily verily i say unto thee except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of god man <laughs> you know when you're in the, i took an evangelism class too and they they teach you that it takes usually 11 points of contact for a person that knows nothing about the Bible to finally come to a point where they're ready to make a decision about Jesus. You know, you, you can't just walk up to them and say that. <laughs> well, what does Jesus do? He doesn't, he doesn't offer anything but, obviously, the Word of God. He just says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Man, what an icebreaker. Because it gets Jesus right into the conversation he wants to be in. Nicodemus saith unto him, verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? I mean, that's an obvious question, right? I mean, if you were Nicodemus, this is something that you would say. How in the world can a man be born twice? And he takes it even further. Can he enter the second time into the mother's womb and be born? The obvious answer to both, ladies, is no, <laughs> not happening. Um, so that leads to verse 5. Verse 5, really, I mean, we don't have to go far from where we are right now, physically, to a church that will read verse 5 completely differently than we do. Literally, right across the street. They read verse 5 as um, coming to the altar, having someone show you in the Bible how to be saved, professing faith in Jesus, trusting in the gospel. And then, jumping in there, is necessary for your salvation. And one of the verses that they use is this verse right here. Look what it says, verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Because we all know, whenever the Bible says water, it's always talking baptism. <laughs> but well, that's what they do. 
they go to verse number 5 of John chapter 3 without looking at any of the context and say, Jesus is talking about baptism. But here's the thing. It's obvious what Jesus is talking about. What is the context of what he's talking about? The context is what? Birth. When um, Cooper was born, we were planning on going July 1st at 6 a.m. Is that right? That was the plan. Yeah, we were supposed to go to the hospital in Wichita Falls, Texas, wake up early, go be there by 6 a.m. to induce and have Cooper. Merely came in about 1 a.m. and said, Andrew, it's time. My water broke. In my opinion, the context makes this awfully easy. The context seems to tell me that this is not talking about baptism at all, but it's talking about you have to be physically born, and then you can be spiritually born. My, uh, I have good friends that would disagree with that a little bit. They would say that there's other passages in God's word that talk about it, water being the word of God. And in my opinion, that is a much more viable option than this talking about baptism. Um, baptism is not mentioned anywhere in the context. The only word that can be associated with baptism is water, but we can't make it mean baptism every time the word water is used. Okay? So context is vitally important. Whenever you study a passage in your handout, you need to examine the context. Okay, remember some context. There's the literary context. You need to know the literary. You need to know the historical context, the, context, uh, the cultural context, the geographic context helps, theological, and the immediate context. Number three, step number three is comparison. Comparison. Um, I was watching some show, it was, oh, it was, oh man, um, it's on A&E, 48 hours later or something like that, 48 hours, uh, and a detective on there said, no clue is alike, but everything connects, everything connects. He was explaining how he puts the clues together to finish the puzzle that is the case. R.C. Sproul said this, private interpretation never meant that individuals had the right to distort scripture. With the right of private interpretation comes the sobering responsibility of accurate interpretation. So one way to help us interpret the scripture is that we compare what we have, which leads to the first bullet point. This means comparing scripture with scripture. The greatest interpreter of scripture is scripture itself. Think about it. The, the, the best thing you can do to understand the books of the Bible is to understand other books of the Bible. Can I prove it to you? There are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. Did you know that? Now you do. 404. I counted them this afternoon, just so you know. 
there are somewhere around 278 of those verses that make a direct connection to the Old Testament. So 278 of 404 verses have a direct tie to a passage in the Old Testament. That is almost 70% of all of the verses in the book of Revelation have to deal with some principle or direct quote from the Old Testament. There are many similarities between Revelation and the Old Testament. In fact, of the 39 Old Testament books, one writer has found that the Revelation alludes to 24 of them. Certainly then, by having a good knowledge of the Old Testament, when you're talking about Revelation, especially books like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah, one likely will have an easier time understanding the book of Revelation. Can I ask? You know, I don't want you to answer. But is Revelation, does it seem daunting to go to, to just read? Can I ask, especially Daniel 6 to 12, those, or 7 to 12, those chapters, how well do you understand those? Um, how well do you understand Ezekiel? pretty daunting too right how about Zechariah how about all of the 64 66 chapters of Isaiah but if we're wanting to understand Revelation we have to understand that it connects directly to the Old Testament Hebrews does the same thing it's written to an audience with the Old Covenant background right I mean they're directly involved in the Old Testament um, theology and Hebrews makes heavy use of the Old Testament. Um, there's a man named Guthrie who wrote a book, and he said this. 35 quotations from the Greek translation of the Old Testament and 34 allusions work to support the development of Hebrews' argument. In addition, the writer offers 19 summaries of Old Testament material, and 13 times he mentions an Old Testament name or topic, often without reference to a specific context. A man named Carson writes, the author cites the Greek Old Testament as if he assumes his readers will recognize its authority. The early church often would preach Sunday morning from Old Testament scripture because that's all they could find copies of. Um, and so they were preaching New Testament doctrine from Old Testament passages because they saw then, because of Jesus, how it all connected. So the best thing that we can do to understand the Bible is to try to understand the Bible. Does that make sense? <laughs> so in order to understand the last book in the Bible, you probably need to work a lot on the first few books of the Bible as well. Donald Barnhouse said this, you very rarely have to go outside of the Bible to explain anything that's in the Bible. That should be reassuring to us. The parts of the Bible take on meaning in light of the whole. So if you're taking notes, I think that's in there. Is that in there? Yes. The parts of the Bible take on meaning in light of the whole. Remember, the Bible is really just one big story from Genesis to Revelation. Did you remember the big word I gave it? Or it's not what I gave it. The big word that theologians have given it is called the meta-narrative. 
from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It's just this one big story of God's redemption. Do you know what it is? It's the gospel. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about the gospel. Just another way of saying it's all about Jesus. Although the Bible is written by 40 different authors, man, 66 different books, really it's the result of one author, God himself. The principle of comparison points to our need for concordance. This is why a good study Bible helps, um, or just buying a concordance on the side. Think about it. A concordance will provide you a tool whereby you can chase down terms, characters in the Bible, nations, themes. Think about if you wanted to do a study on, um, let's see, an Old Testament man like Gideon. You wanted to study Gideon. What you can do is go to your concordance, and it'll give you all the different references for Gideon. Or if you wanted to study faith, it can give you all the different references for the word faith. And you can just hunt all of these down. And what you're doing is you're using scripture to help build a doctrine for scripture. Number four, step four, culture. I was watching, so really the only show that my wife and I try to watch live and one of the reasons why this is one of the only shows is just because the day it is on. Um, it's on Friday. Next day we're off, so it's a little easier. We, our bedtime routine is a little easier. Um, it's called Blue Bloods. Anybody else watch Blue Bloods? Oh, yeah. I like me some Blue Bloods. Um, and um, many of those cases involve going to parts of town where they don't like the police. And there was a detective on there. It's been a number of years ago who said something like this, knowing the people we serve helps us to help them. Um, but they say it all the time, people in that neighborhood don't trust us or like us, and so they won't share information with us. And the detective was trying to say is that um, in order for them to trust us, we have to learn to know them. They won't, um, they won't trust us until we get to know them better. Uh, what he was saying is their culture is so different than ours, that we can't see eye to eye. Hey, friend, the Bible's culture is completely opposite of American culture, especially in Mansfield, Texas, today. So in order for us to get to the true meaning of the Bible, we have to know the culture. The key to studying the Bible is to set it against its background to recreate the culture. That should be in your handout. Set it against its background recreate the culture think about the woman at the well john chapter 4 in fact you're there i mean we're in john 3 so let's jump to john 4 real quick john 4 look at john 4 verse 4 he told his disciples he must needs go through samaria which would have just dropped their jaw why would that have dropped their jaw okay i'm sorry Jews aren't welcome there. They didn't like each other. So automatically, we're getting a little bit into the culture, right? This is like me when we go to Michigan. I try to avoid Ohio, even if I have to go all the way around, right? <laughs> but this is how they treated um, Samaria. They didn't like one another. Um, it was their Ohio. Yes. 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 So... In fact, that's what, 
if, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's what Samaritan means. It means half Jew, half Gentile. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably one of the reasons, you know, Jews thought of themselves as God's people. And to mix with Gentile meant to, um, you know, dirty your blood. Um, and because of that, it probably made even Jesus' disciples racist. I mean, you can just read that all throughout this passage. Verse 5. So they go, then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about six hours. So what time is the six hour? No, ma'am. It's noon. Yeah, the, the Jewish day starts at 6 a.m., and so the sixth hour would have been noon. So high noon. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Okay, that's odd. Well, I guess it doesn't really seem odd. I mean, there's a well there, right? So if you're just reading it, you're just going to flow right through that. But if you know the culture, you know that that is really strange. Um, in that day, if a woman wanted water, she would most assuredly go at 6 a.m. our time. Because the family was going to need water for the day. This would be before it got real hot. And all of the other ladies went at that time. So it was kind of the hangout. They would just stand there, talk, and do all the things ladies like. They probably did makeup and, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> My wife is laughing at me. <laughs> um, and so there, she was. all these ladies would go all at the same time. So for the Bible... To take the time to give us this detail, there had to be a reason. This woman went to the well at noon, at the hottest part of the day, because she wanted to go by herself. The reason why she wanted to go by herself, we know the rest of the story, because she had a reputation, right? Jesus would ask her, um, why don't you bring your husband or bring your husband? And she said, well, I don't have a husband. What does Jesus say? You've said, well... Because you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not even your husband. Right? And so she, she comes, and we know this detail because we know the culture. Yeah. So knowing the culture can add more details to the story. Here's our problem. Our problem is that we tend to read back into the period of time our history. Man, we do this. Can I tell you, I, I, obviously I don't spend a lot of time in other countries, um, but I think the ones that are guilty of this most is us Americans. Um, I, I'm going to say some things, and it's not really a, a um, picture into my own life, please understand, but there are a lot of Christians here in America that get more of their theology from Fox News than they do from God's Word. You know it's true. Right, um, and we equate being American with being a Christian, and nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, so we read our own history, and it's gotten even worse with um, all of these different movements 
that have been popping up over the last 10 years or so in our country. One of them, obviously, is slavery. Now, I don't think slavery is a good thing, but we view slavery from an American standpoint, right? How could we ever have slaves? Uh, that's what the Civil War was for. Um, the Bible talks about being um, slaves. I don't understand it. Um, because we view the Bible from our point of view, our history, and not the Bibles. Can I prove it to you? Look at Ephesians 6. Now, as we read this, I don't want you to picture me reading it to you in the safety of the auditorium of Central Baptist Church. I want you to picture me reading this at the biggest town hall at, say, um, oh, what's a really liberal college? UC, um, USC, that'll work. <laughs> University of Southern California. Uh, no, how about this? In the hall of Ohio State University. Can I get OAN? Uh, imagine me reading this. Look at verse number five. Servants. What does the word servants mean? Slave. Slave. Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Could you imagine me <laughs> getting up at a huge university today and in front of all of those people that are in those college campuses coming to hear me speak? And the only thing I stand up and say is that right there. <laughs> Could you imagine? Slaves, be obedient to your masters. And then I walked off. It would make national news, right? And what is the reason that it would make national news? Because we're guilty of reading our own history into the biblical text. That is not what that means. It, it, the, the slavery that we had here, for most of it, looks nothing like the slavery back in the days of Israel in the turn of the century, right? It, it, it doesn't. Um, the problem is we look at um, the Bible through a red, white, and blue filter. And we shouldn't do that. It is dangerous. This is obvious, but we do that with a number of things, and we shouldn't do that. Make sure you get the right culture, okay? Um, principle number five. I told you tonight would be faster. Consultation. Consultation. You're not in Bible study alone. Man, I wish we could get this through. You know, we talk about all kinds of things during the week. Let's talk about the Bible some. We're not in this by ourselves. There are people that have walked this road before us. These are people that we trust. These are people that we believe would give us good biblical advice. Maybe they've already discovered the true meaning. Obviously, it's better for us to discover it, but they can give us clues to get there on our own. Think about it. Detectives don't solve a case in a vacuum. They have the help of an entire police department and science help in the community as well. They'll use experts, witnesses, and informants to solve a case. Why don't we use everything in our arsenal to get to the bottom of what the Bible really means? I think God would bless that. This is one of the reasons why we go to church, right? 
Yeah. Listen, you have access to all kinds of experts, so to speak. I mean, you have pastors that you can call, text. You have conferences that you can go to. Listen, we live in Mansfield. I can give you list after list of conferences, bigger list than the list of authors I just gave you, happening all around us all of the time that can give you good Bible information. You can get books. We literally have Mardell less than 10 miles from here. You can go on Amazon. If you have a Kindle, you can get it tonight, right? You have books, good books that you can read. There's videos all over the Internet. Um, 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 man, why can't I remember his name? Brother Birchfield's first name. Mike, thank you. Mike Birchfield. Last week, no, it was, yeah, yeah, it was last week. I went over and visited with them, um, saw Pam. She's hoping to be able to come back to church soon. Um, and he gave me, a couple months ago, a access to um, video curriculum for the end times type stuff. And let me tell you, there are, man, it's, it's over 100 videos of pastors that talk just end times. And the ones that I have watched, I haven't been able to watch all of them by any means, have been very good. And it was completely free these are all over the place and you can still take college classes i was really hoping wesley would be here we all need to get on wesley and ted they've been coming and then the last two weeks they missed so that's part of your homework you can tell them preacher sent you all right um but wesley just started uh well he's about to start college classes these are accredited from maranatha baptist college Macedonia Baptist College. <laughs> it's in North Carolina. And, uh, man, 60 bucks a credit hour? It might even be 60 bucks a class. And each class is three credit hours. I mean, as far as college classes go, that is dirt cheap. You can't hardly buy a book for $60 today. And so he's going there, getting college credit, and learning pretty good stuff, Bible interpretation. And there are more than just that one all over the United States of America where we can learn more about the Bible. We have all these different resources to consult. Remember I said it last week, we live in a day and age where we have more access to good Bible information than any generation before us. And yet we live in a culture where most Christians are completely ignorant of what the Bible actually says. How sad is that? Hear me, friend. If we're going to understand the Bible, it's not because our pastor told us to. It's going to be because we want to. So, how much do you want to understand the Bible? Let's pray. Oh, no, let's not pray yet. Maybe we need to pray before we get to this, but... Um, <laughs> I will not be that teacher. Have you ever been in a class where the teacher was about to dismiss and then someone was like, hey, don't you have homework for us, teacher? <laughs> if you want to know, that was my wife back in the day. <laughs> I already got my taxes done. Where's the homework? <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. Uh, so this is home treasure hunt. So no helping right now. This is 
a good little study for you. Is the Immaculate Conception a biblical doctrine? What denomination of churches teach the Immaculate Conception? What does the doctrine of Immaculate Conception actually teach? Was Mary, and the Mary I mean there, just so we're all clear, is the mother of Jesus. Okay, Mary, the mother of Jesus, a sinner. Did she ever have any children besides Jesus? There you go. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Now we can pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your a good night. Help us as we leave. Bring us back safely on Wednesday for service. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We're located at 700 North Walnut Creek Drive in Mansfield, Texas. You can visit our website at cbcmansfield.com or follow us at Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CBC Mansfield. Thanks again for joining us.